this wrapped around my arm. Why? I think I lost. Um, and if you're visiting with us, uh, I am really glad to have you, and I hope that you will consider uh, joining into our church family. Uh, those of uh, those of you who are already uh, family know that we have been going through the book of Genesis together. Uh, we started off uh, back with creation on uh, chapter one uh, back in January, and we uh, took a little break uh, in the middle uh, to go through Second Peter, and that brings and then we picked back up with Abraham here. Uh, several weeks ago, and that got us back to where we are now, uh, which is Genesis chapter 19. Uh, and Genesis chapter 19 is a tough chapter. I'm not going to um, apologize for that, except to say that it deals with uh, some very uh, difficult to talk about sin, as well as some uh, the the way that God's judgment fell uh, on that sin and. Uh, I said this last week, uh, I'll say it again this week, uh, Children's Church is available up through sixth grade today, and if you uh, have a child who is here and you feel that perhaps this topic wouldn't be appropriate for him or her, uh, that opportunity to slide on out is is there and available. Uh, we, we don't want to... Uh, necessarily raise uh, uncomfortable issues for you as parents. So, uh, but at the same time, this chapter is part of God's inspired word. And all scripture, we believe, is God-breathed and is uh, profitable for reproof, for correction, for training and instruction in righteousness. And, and because I have a commitment to preach through the entire Bible, leaving nothing out, uh, and because... As, and as an expository preacher, you go through a book at a time and you just preach on what's next. This is what's next. So I haven't picked this out. If you're visiting with us, I didn't pick this out because I wanted to particularly get into this topic. Uh, this is where we are. And this is also, I think, a good time to mention that it's not my intention this morning in any way to bash those who struggle with sexual sin in whatever forms that might crop up in. In fact, I have as a as a pastor and as a person a great deal of compassion for people who struggle with these things. And let's remember, as does the Lord Jesus, who came to die on a cross to set people free from all kinds of sin, sexual and otherwise. And there is indeed victory to be found in Jesus Christ by the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen? So with these things in mind, let's go through uh, the first 22 verses of Genesis chapter 19. The two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. And when he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way early in the morning. No, they answered, we will spend the night in the square. But he insisted so strongly that they did go with him and entered his house. He prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. Before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so we can have sex with them. 
Lot went outside to meet them and shut the door behind him and said, No, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you, and you can do what you like with them. But don't do anything to these men, for they have come under the protection of my roof. Get out of our way, they replied. And they said, This fellow came here as an alien, and now he wants to play the judge. We'll treat you worse than them. They kept bringing pressure on Lot and moved forward to break down the door. But the men inside reached out and pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. Then they struck the men who were at the door of the house, young and old, with blindness, so they could not find the door. The two men said to Lot, Do you have anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here because we are going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against his people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who were pledged to marry his daughters. He said, hurry and get out of this place because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. And with the coming of the dawn, the angels urged Lot saying, hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here or you will be swept away when the city is punished. When he hesitated, the men grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and his two daughters and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. As soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, Flee for your lives. Don't look back and don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you will be swept away. But Lot said, No, my lords, please. Your servant has found favor in your eyes, and you have shown great kindness to me in sparing my life, but I can't flee to the mountains. This disaster will overtake me, and I'll die. Look, here is a town small enough to run to, and it is small. Let me flee to it. It is very small, isn't it? Then my life will be spared. He said to him, Very well, I will grant this request too. I will not overthrow the town you speak of, but flee there quickly because I cannot do anything until you reach it. That is why the town was called Zoar. Now, there are several things worth seeing in these 22 verses. Uh, first, notice where Lot was when the angels found him. He was seated in the gate. Now, in the ancient world, you may not know this, but in the ancient world, uh, ancient cities were walled, and that was, they were walled for protection against invaders and against uh, raiders and this kind of thing. And they had walls all the way around them in a circle, and then at the entrance to the city, they had gates, and they would have an inner gate and an outer gate. And so when it says that they were he was seated in the gates of the city, he's in between that area between the outer gate and the inner gate. And the reason they had that is they would have walls that connected them, and so you'd have kind of a little little area in there in between, and you would conduct business there. It was the marketplace. It was also the place where legal affairs were conducted, and the people who sat there were the leading citizens of the city. It also, in the event of invasion, provided you with a, one of those convenient spots to dump rocks and boiling oil and so forth over the invaders, because they would be in this little tight spot. Uh, if you've seen Lord of the Rings, you've seen kind of this idea uh, going on. But Lot is seated there, which means he has been part of this community for a long enough period of time that he has now risen to become one of the leading citizens of the, of the community. 
And if you remember Lot, when we first see him uh, back in, I believe it's chapter 14, he and Abraham have a division. Uh, they have so much property and so much stuff that they can't stay together. And so they decide to split up and Lot decides to pitch his tent towards Sodom. And then later we read that, so that he's no longer living in a tent. He's living in Sodom. Well, now he's one of the leading citizens of Sodom. So that's worth noticing. He is prospering there, and he may even function as some sort of a judge uh, for the people of Sodom because later, of course, they mock him as now you want to play judge again. And second, remember why the angels are there. The angels are there. We met them last week. They were traveling with the Lord himself, and they stopped by Abraham's tent on their way to investigate the sin of Sodom because God is gracious and merciful and wants to be seen as such. He is not simply going to uh, destroy the city based on a rumor or based on people's outcry in their prayers. He's going to personally go and investigate. And so he sends, he sends two angels, and he comes himself to go and investigate. Although we don't meet him here, the Lord knows what is going on. And just like with Abraham and that little exchange, there's a similar type thing that happens. Lot, being a hospitable man, a righteous man, takes these two men, they appear as men, uh, into uh, his house and offers them a meal and is uh, hospitable to them. And while the angels, but while the angels are in the house, things go terribly, terribly wrong. About dark, uh, a number of the men, not all of them, uh, certainly because apparently Lot's sons-in-laws are uh, sons-in-law are not there, but but certainly a great number of men from all over the city. Uh, come and they surround the house in a mob and they say, bring out the men who are in your house. And the text literally says, so that we may know them. But if you have an old King James Bible, you understand exactly that what the NIV text translates that as, bring them out that we may have sex with them. That is what is implied by that phrase. You know, like I say, if you have an old King James, it actually uses the word no, uh, because that's the word that's there, yada. But it's the word, it's a Hebrew uh, idiom, Hebrew euphemism for sexual contact. And so you read, as an example, Adam knew his wife, and she conceived, and she bore a son, and his name was Cain, and then he knew his wife again, and he, he bore a son, and Abel, and Seth, and on down. That is the consistent word in Genesis for sexual contact. And they want to have sexual contact with these two angels, whether or not these two angels would be willing participants in this activity. These men are determined to force themselves on Lot's guests, and this is evil on another level. These men are not only enslaved to homosexuality, they are, in, they are violent in the fulfillment of their lust. And so if Lot is not going to get voluntarily send these guys out to be victims, 
then they are going to take them by force. And Lot also. These are evil, evil people. And Lot is one of the city fathers, but he reveals himself, I think, to be a hypocrite. Because even though he is a righteous man, he has adopted, in some sense, the morals even of the city. Can you imagine, men, those of you who have daughters, as a father saying, well, no, not my guests, but my two virgin daughters you can have and you can abuse them? Uh, no, that's not going to happen. That will be over my dead body. But Lot has begun himself to adopt even some of the morality of Sodom, and Sodom was a very immoral place. And so he says, not my guests, but you can have my daughters. And they say, no, no, not the daughters. We want the Uh There's nothing good you can say about this exchange. It is sick. It is twisted. It is absolutely morally inexcusable. It is repellent. It is awful on both sides of the, equa of the equation. And what has to happen is that the angels actually step in and they blind all of these men so that they can't find the door. And they pull Lot inside and they tell him, look, you have got to get out of here because what we have found is that the people here are just as wicked as the outcry against them that has gone up before the Lord and the city will be destroyed and you need to get out. You and everybody that's precious to you that you can convince to go with you, take them out also. Now, of course, here's the problem. Lot has pledged his two daughters to two men of Sodom, and all of a sudden, when he starts talking to them about God's judgment that is coming, they think it's a joke. They think it's funny. They don't take him seriously. Why? Because his testimony as a man has evidently been compromised by the fact that he is living and in some sense participating in the evil of the people around him. And so when he his life is apparently not wide enough different between the way everybody else is living and the way he's living, so that when he speaks to them about his relationship with God and about the coming of God's judgment, they think it's a joke. And so he's not able to convince them to go with him because they don't think he's serious. But, of course, he is deadly serious. And even in the morning when it's time to go, the sun is coming up, destruction is going to come, look what has to happen. The angels literally take Lot, his wife, and their two daughters, and they drag them by the hand, apparently one in each, out of the city because they're hesitant to leave, even though they know destruction is coming. And let me just say, by the way, that that is still true. That sometimes that sin has for us who are sinners, and all of us, according to the Scriptures, are sinners. Sin sometimes has such a deeply attractive power and can be so deeply rooted in us that even though we know that what we are doing is going to destroy us. 
we have a hard time letting go of it. And you know, let me pick a, an example unrelated to the, to the described sins of Sodom that we all understand. If you've ever seen someone who is an alcoholic, you understand exactly what I'm talking about. Or someone who is a drug addict, you know exactly what I'm talking about. They know that what they're doing is literally killing them. But they can't let go of it. It continues to enslave and dominate them, and they worship it and serve it as if it is a god, and it has control of them. And sin can get to be like that, to where it feels that there is no escape, and you have to be, in a sense, forcibly dragged away from it by God's power. And that is where even Lot and his family are is that they have compromised in their decisions to such a degree that now they're literally being dragged out of the city. And even then, they hesitate to really flee. And because look at how Lot starts negotiating for a town to run to rather than run to the mountains. Let me, well, there's a small town. Maybe I can have a, just a little small space where I can still hang on to some of the good life that I've been enjoying in this place. And I don't have to run completely all the way away from all of the thing that is about to destroy me. So there's a small place, and there's, it's really small. And please be gracious to me. I mean, you've been gracious to me so far, so be gracious to me one more time. And, and there's a small place. It used to be called Bela, but now it's called Zoar. You know why it's called Zoar? Zoar means little one. There's a little there's a little town to flee to, a little place, so I don't have to get completely away from everything that holds me. And the angels say, flee, run, run, run for your life away from the judgment of God on this place and on this sin. Let's continue. Verse 23. By the time Lot reached Zoar, the sun had risen, had risen over the land, and then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities in the entire plain, including all those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. But Lot's wife looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and returned to the place where he had stood before the Lord. He looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all the land of the plain, and he saw dense smoke rising from the land like smoke from a furnace. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham and brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. God brought the judgment that he had threatened. God is long-suffering, far beyond human limits, but eventually even the patience of God is exhausted. And when it is, he brings judgment. And he brought final, complete destruction on those people for all of the evil in which they had indulged. And Abraham saw the aftermath. Lot was saved not because Lot was such a righteous man, but because Abraham was, inter was interceding for him and praying for him. And God was, it says that God remembered Lot 
cause of Abraham. Not because Lot was himself such a righteous guy. And in a, tra- in a moment of tragedy, Lot's wife is also destroyed. Why? Remember what I said about the attractive power of sin? It's not because she looked back and saw the destruction of God fall. It's because she looked back with longing on what she was leaving behind. It had got hold of her to a point that she could no longer leave what should have been long in the past in the past, knowing that it was going to take her life. It took her life after she had been told explicitly, don't look back. She looks back, and she is judged for looking back with longing on her sin. The story goes on. Verse 30, Lot and his two daughters left Zoar and settled in the mountain. Now they decide we really should go to the mountain. For he was afraid to stay in Zoar. He and his two daughters lived in a cave. One day the older daughter said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is no man around to lie with us, as is the custom over all the earth. Let us get our father to drink wine and then lie with him and preserve our family line through our father. That night they got their father to drink wine, and the older daughter went in and lay with him. He was not aware of it when she lay down or when she got up. The next day the older daughter said to the younger, Last night I lay with my father. Let's get him to drink wine again tonight, and you can go in and lie with him so we can preserve our family line for our father. So they got their father to drink wine that night also, and the younger daughter went in and lay with him. He was not aware of it when she lay down or when she got up. So both of Lot's daughters became pregnant by their father. The older daughter had a son, and she named him Moab. He is the father of the Moabites of today. The younger daughter also had a son, and she named him Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites of today. Now, this story just gets worse and worse and worse. What can I say? to this. I mean, Lot's daughters have gotten out of Sodom, but Sodom has not gotten out of his daughters. And the after effects of the sin in which they engage is felt generations later. The name Moab sounds like the Hebrew word for from father. And Ben-Ami means son of my people. And these people become, uh, by the way, uh, Ammon is still the name of a place today. You've been to or heard of Amman, Jordan, where some of our friends uh, still minister. That is named after this man, Ammon, Ben-Ami, who results from the incestuous relationship between Lot and his daughter. And these two tribes of people become two tribes of people who are devoted to idolatry and sexual immorality as part of that idolatry. They become just like the Canaanites on the other side of the Jordan. And they become, in other words, the sin of Sodom is carried on through the Moabites and the Ammonites because Lot never did 
fully and finally cut himself off and separate himself from those people. What do we do with this passage? Why is this in here? What does God have for us to learn from these verses? Remember what I said. We believe what what Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is God-breathed. So what does God have to teach us in this? Well, number one, I think he has to teach us this, that the wages of sin is still death. All of you know, I'm sure, if you've, know, if you've not learned, you need to get into Awana where you can learn some Scripture with your kids. All right? Um, Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. And I wonder how many of us sometimes really believe that, that it really is true, that the wages of sin is death. Sin always steals and kills and destroys. Everything it touches. Always. And a lot of us, you know, we may not necessarily, especially if we are believers in Jesus Christ, we will not experience God's active wrath where he pours out judgment on people. But here's what we will experience for sure in this life. If you engage in sin, particularly if you engage in it repeatedly and in an unrepentant way, you will experience what I call God's passive wrath which Paul describes in Romans 1. He says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the wickedness and unrighteousness of men. And what happens with that is this, is that God says, Okay, you want to do that? You want to go that way? Fine. Reap the consequences. And so Paul says in Romans 1 that God gave them over first to the sinful desires of their hearts, then to shameful lusts, then to depraved mind. The wages of sin is death. And the worst thing in the world that could happen to you is that God would let you continue in your sin. Even though that is very often our heart's desire, God letting you continue in that is the worst thing that could happen to you. Because the wages of sin is death. And in fact, hell is described you know, it is the place of God's active wrath that lasts for all eternity. And it is described in very similar terms to the judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. Only instead of fire raining down from heaven, it's described as a lake of burning sulfur. The wages of sin is death. God's holiness is still real. And you do not want to experience it. And so the second thing I think that we need to learn from this is that we need to flee from the wrath to come. Everywhere in the scriptures that sexual immorality is talked about, the word that is used for it as a response is flee. Not, not walk slowly, not mosey, not saunter, certainly not sachet. Uh, it's flee. From the wrath to come. Run. Run for your life away from this. Because here's the thing, okay? This particular passage a lot of times is used to talk about the sin of homosexuality, and certainly that is in view. But if you look at Lot and his daughters, that's immoral too. 
and that is equally abhorrent to God. And you know what else? All, this may come as a newsflash, I hope not, but all, 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 all forms of non-marital sexuality between husband and wife are abhorrent and evil before God. All of them. So that means friends with benefits. That means polyamory. Uh, that means polygamy. That means bestiality. That means homosexuality. That means lesbianism. That means um, uh, living with your boyfriend, girlfriend, what have you. All. Whatever you can come up with. That means pornography. All forms of non-marital sexuality are wrong and condemned before God. You don't believe me? Read Leviticus. It'll clear it up for you. Okay? All of them. And in fact, that list is not updated in the New Testament. They're all wrong. And you can't, by the way, just to be clear, you cannot make a wrong thing into a right thing simply because you have wanted to do that wrong thing for as long as you can remember or for a very long time. I still remember this. This was one of the greatest interviews ever of Rick Warren on national TV. He said to, I forget, it was Katie Couric or somebody else interviewing him, and he said, look, they were asking him about the issue of homosexuality, and he said, look, I want to sleep with every attractive woman I see. That tells me absolutely nothing about the rightness or wrongness of that desire. And let me just say this. If you are struggling right now, in whatever area, heterosexual, homosexual, whatever, pornography, there is help available. There is victory in Jesus Christ. But all of us, because we are born sinners, every single one of us have desires that we cannot legitimately satisfy. Amen? That is what it means that we are totally depraved that we have within us all kinds of desires and things that we want to do that would feel good temporarily at least if we were to do them that we can't indulge in. So sometimes what I would, as an example, really like to do is to slug someone right in the eye, okay? And somehow we all know that that is not right to do that, to follow through on that, right? We call that road rage, or assault, or <laughs> something, right? Okay? And we all intuitively understand that that would not be kosher. But then when we move over into some other areas of moral behavior, we, st we, we mumble and we go, well, I, you know, I don't know. No. The wages of sin is death. And the way to get away from sin is to flee by the power of the Holy Spirit. Whatever your evil desire is, whether it's lust, whether it's greed, whether it's anger, whether it's rage, whether it is uh, idolatry, whatever it is, the answer is still the same. Flee. Not just from sin, but from God's judgment on it, which you do not want to experience. Flee. We live in an evil culture, in an evil day, and there's lots of people promoting the virtues of sin in all kinds of ways, from greed to lust to uh, 
to hatred, to selfishness, to whatever, you can find an advertiser for every one of them. The Bible says, flee. Because the wages of sin is death. And engaging in this stuff will put you to death in that area of your life. Third thing, remember Lot's wife. I wish I had said that first, but I didn't. Jesus said it. Luke 17, 32, remember Lot's wife. He said, look, remember, the day of judgment is coming quickly, just like it came quickly for Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the plain. And we ought not to look back with longing on our former way of life and say, well, if only I were still doing or whatever, what I used to do. Peter says it this way, you have spent enough time in the past doing what the pagans do. Remember Lot's wife. Don't look back. Run. Find life. Find freedom. Find health. Find healing for your soul and for your life in a relationship with Jesus. And last thing, God's grace protects the righteous. God's grace protects the righteous. Remember Lot? He was not much. In the history of the scriptures, he is not much. I mean, consider his life. He was a tag along with Abraham at the beginning. He was selfish in the division of the land. He was a hypocrite whose lifestyle didn't match his profession of faith. He was reluctant to Sodom on the eve of destruction. He was finally drunk and incestuous with his own daughters whom he had offered up as rape victims. He has a list of wickedness as long as some of the most wicked people in all of the Bible. But here's here's what's interesting. The Apostle Peter calls him righteous lot. Why? Because in spite of who he was and what he had done, God had still called him into relationship with himself. And Lot had believed in the living God and had placed his trust in him. And in spite of all his, his, his hypocrisy, in spite of all of his sin, in spite of all of his selfishness, in spite of all of his stupidity, in spite of everything, God had called him into relationship with himself by his grace. And God protects the righteous from judgment, just like he protected Lot. He promises to protect you and I if we have placed our trust in Jesus Christ. Because you know what? I bet if we were really honest that most of us could list a whole list of real colorful behaviors and thoughts that we have had. A bunch And we could talk about our adultery or our pornography use or our immorality or our homosexual experimentation or our drug use or our drunkenness or our greed or our selfishness or our hatred or our rage or our wrath or our idolatry or any number of other things. But here's what the New Testament says. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were set free from slavery to sin. You were 
bought with a price by the blood of Christ. Not with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without spot, without blemish. And if you are a person today who is struggling with sin, let me tell you, to flee to God's grace, to find help, to find healing, find forgiveness, find freedom from all that enslaves you. Because you will probably have for the rest of your life lots of desires that you know are wrong and that you cannot indulge in and be right before God. But you know what? God can give you a new heart. He can give you new desires. And he can set you free from all that enslaves you. And he will ultimately set free all of us who believe in Christ. That day is coming. We look forward to it with great joy knowing that the day when we are finally cleansed of all that def defiles and, 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 and spoils us is coming, coming soon. And God will protect the righteous who follow Christ. Not based on our righteousness, but based on His, which He imparts to us. Let's pray.